Hi, welcome back. We're back in Hebrews today. The title is Looking Unto Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. I'm going to read the Word of God to you, and uh, I'm not uh, it'll, you, you have, I'm going to talk about looking unto Jesus. I was doing a study of Hebrews, and uh, I was doing it in front of about 10 people. And then all this transition stuff um, came into alignment and, and uh, my time away came. And so in order to finish the study in Hebrews, I moved it to Sunday, or Saturday and Sunday. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, but I'm gonna begin reading. And uh, I'm just gonna read this to you in the New King James Version and then come back because I wanna read a little bit more than I'm gonna preach on. All these, chapter 11, verse 39, having attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and listen, and thus sin, which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of God. That will be my text, but just a little more before I stop. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted unto bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do not be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. For you endure chastening, and God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? But if you were without chastening, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be, sub, be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Hallelujah. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. <clears throat> but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah. Y'all remember what the days of spanking? Hallelujah. I grew up in a world where, um, I, I grew up in a world where they could spank you at school. I grew up in a world where the neighbor could spank you. And I grew up in a world where if any of those things happened, you went home and you got another one. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all are like, that explains why you're so evil. <clears throat> I guess it does. Let's look to Jesus this morning, Hebrews, and let's go to this verse again. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews has just told them about the faith of everyone that ever preceded them in their Hebrew family, and has exhorted them because of that faith to have faith. And now he is wanting them to strengthen themselves. But he knows that even the stories of faith will not be enough, that if we are to strengthen ourselves, we will have to do it in the Lord. I have become a person that's allergic to hearing sermons about Ziklag. Your people are going, what? Look that up. Every time we talk about, every time we talk about Ziklag in this church, some kind of chastening comes to my life. I mean, are you kidding me? And that's where David lost everything he had. And then it says, and he wept until he couldn't weep anymore. And then he strengthened himself in the Lord. This is a day to strengthen yourself in the Lord. This is a day to look unto Jesus. This is the day when the stories of those who have gone by will hearten us, but they will not transform us. What will transform us is looking unto Jesus. I want you to look to him today. And I want you to become future perfect. I want you to live in that tense. I want you to live in future perfect because listen, we are headed from here to there. We are going to be better than we are now. Y'all, I tell people, used to tell people, you think I'm bad, you should have seen me before. I want you to know that when what Jesus has planned for you is such a transformation that when people see you clothed in his glory, they would be strangely tempted to worship because he's transforming us into his image from glory to glory. So don't be concerned. No, I won't say that. We live in a world where we, are, we do concern ourselves, but don't be overwhelmed by the flood that you see in this direction and that direction. Don't be overwhelmed. It was when I first met Jesus that the man who taught me about Jesus, I never, you can't forget it, because I remember going to him after I called on the name of the Lord and I said, tell me, tell me again what that verse is you spoke to me. And he read to me out of Philippians 4, chapter 13, I can do all things through Christ who? Yes, my strength is in the Lord. I'm looking for him to strengthen me. And as new life city is at the cusp of transformation, we are being strengthened. But guess what? We've been pruned. <laughs> We've been pruned. My mother's azaleas exploded in beauty this year. I showed you a picture of them. And my mother who can't get outside, we have to show my mother normally pictures of the azaleas because she, she's mostly homebound, but she gets out a little bit. She was so proud of her azaleas, but guess what you do to those things? As soon as they bloom, you cut them down beyond recognition. 
Because for greater glory to come, there has to be a time of loss and suffering. 2020, anybody want to do it again? (laughs) Then let's look to the future and to the good things that the Lord has for us. You see, not only does, does life have me looking toward the future, but to tell you the truth, death has me looking to the future. I've reached that age where so many of my people live there. And so this week I was reminded of those of a beautiful hymn by Annie Ross Cousins, The Sands of Time Are Sinking, The Dawn of Heaven Breaks, The Summer Morn I've Sighed For. The fair, sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark has been the midnight, but dayspring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. These hymns strengthen me. They help me strengthen myself in the Lord. She goes on to write, The king there is in his beauty, without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, Those seven deaths lay tween. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. As we get a little further on in this life, we have one eye on what's around us and we have one eye on the glory of God to be revealed. And then I'm going to tell you that if you believe your Bibles, here's what you have to understand. We're on a march of progress going forward. And so when we look back, again, we can hearten ourselves, but we can only truly strengthen ourselves in the Lord. The writer of Hebrews is writing to them and he's telling them about the things back. Why? Because you have to understand what's going on. You have to understand what's going on. I I talk about it all the time, but it's only when I stand, when I try to stand where they were standing that I can truly get the fullness of this gospel inside myself. And so if if I'm a Hebrew and I'm standing where they were in 68 or 69 AD, Israel was on the cusp of destruction. They were on the cusp of a, pruning that would come, that would be such a dramatic end to their life that, listen, from that day to this, their life has never been the same. Never. And what had happened is these believers, they had come to Jesus. They had embraced him, but they were so drawn because, why were they drawn? Because it was going badly. They were in pain. I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting, I back up. When I kick the thorns, I say, there's thorns. I'm coming, <laughs> I'm coming backing up. Colleen told me about her dog running into a cactus. She spent all night getting those things pulled out of that dog's schnoz and out of his mouth, her mouth. Hallelujah, Jesus. But we're going forward. And these people, you see, listen, you got to understand, they were really tempted to go back. 
Never lived in a day like this before myself. I've never seen it. Christians are renouncing Christ and it's become so publicly acceptable to do it that famous Christians are doing it publicly. Publicly. Listen, I can understand anybody renouncing me. You know, I understand people who get hurt and mad at the church and say, I'm done with them, but I ain't done with him. And listen, because I'm not done with him, I'll never be done with them either. I have an assignment. God gave me an assignment long time ago. My assignment was to wash the bride with water and the word. Guess what? I'm going to an uncertain future, except I'm certain that my assignment hasn't changed. I'm certain of that. I have an assignment. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep my assignment. The rigors of the present assignment have simply grown, they've outgrown me. And so a younger man is coming with the strength of David to slay the giants. And I'm like, do it, dude. <laughs> Get her done. <laughs> but I'm strengthening myself in the Lord. Now listen again, these people, they were literally, they were suffering. They'd gone through hardship. The passage, the passage before this, well, I'm gonna read to you a passage that talks about their suffering. But listen, this is an interesting thing and you have to get it. The writer of Hebrews, after we pass this passage, is going to dare to say to them, it's a discipline you're going through from the Lord. He's going to dare to tell them that their pain, though it might be from the hands of wicked men, is from the Lord. You say, that can't be. Well, then read your Bible, because it can. Because Jesus, the Bible says, was nailed to the cross by the intentional will of God and by the wicked hands of man. So do not tell me that you cannot experience the rigors of this world and not also say, the Lord has done this. You say, it's too much mystery for me. Well, I'm sorry, put on your big boy britches. Because we've been called, we've been called to go up high. We've been called to live on the higher plane. I'm exhorting you today, looking unto Jesus. Meanwhile, we're gonna cry. I've cried more than you have in the last six months. I don't wanna win the contest, I just know. We're gonna cry, we're gonna be grieved, we're gonna be broken, we're gonna be bruised, we're gonna be hurt, we're gonna be confused, we're gonna be angry. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus and when you see him, you will not see him at the head of a parade you will see him on the throne of God. And on the throne of God, you will see him there with the nail scarred marks that he suffered on our behalf. And because he won the victory over those things, we live and know that we too shall win the victory. All right, that's the introduction. Now let's look at the text. Therefore, the writer says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, hallelujah, let us lay aside. Well, I'm gonna go through it bit by bit. 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. This is a different translation, English Standard Version. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. There's that word again. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at this. It says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Speaking of all those saints, what does that mean? And then you come here and you say, you see that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. All right. The word perfect, the old, the way they used it in the King James time that has come down to us has harmed us a great deal. Because you and I think that perfect means there is no flaw. But what it means is a fulfilled purpose. Now, I'm going to say more about that in a minute. It's, um, it's, it's from the word telos. Um, a, 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 telos is what, a telos is what every company needs to have to be successful. They say, what is our telos? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Unto what end have we come together in this venture? What is our, what, what, are, we up, what are we up to? Now, I want you to know something. It, in, in other words, you and I think it's, we think of moral perfection. And then we say, nobody's perfect. Like it's a get out of jail free card. No, God's going to perfect you one way or the other. <laughs> That's why I, whether... <laughs> He's going to do it. He's going to do it. <laughs> and so coming back to this, it says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, here's what this means. All those saints, all those Hebrew saints had lived their lives by faith without receiving the promise. The promise was Jesus. Jesus was the telos of God in the world. And so now the writer is saying, we have called on him. What they didn't receive, we have received. The telos is made perfect. And guess what? Very, Im very messed up people. I almost used the imperfect. I won't do it because I don't want you to go back to that idea. Because perfection in Hebrews is completion. It's fulfillment. I'm going to say it again in a minute because repetition is the art of teaching. <laughs> Hallelujah. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, by the way, I want you all to know something. I don't care what time it is today at all. I got a few more shots. I got a few more shots. I may hit a few in the water and have to take some mulligans and I'm just gonna get her done. It's golf Sunday, right? Since we're surrounded by, I listen to a bunch of mega church preachers. I like mega church preachers. Um, you know, every, every young pastor wants to be one. And now that I've lived long enough, I'm glad there are some. But, 
But what they tend to do is they tend to chop up the word of God in little bites and take everything as it stands. When you do that, I mean, it's good, cool. You can, you can glean some messages. But the thing of it is, I wanna know those people who got this, why did they get this? What was going on? And I'm telling you, what was going on was life or death. And so when people come to this, here's what they always do. They always say, there's an arena, a big arena, and all the saints are in the arena, and you and I are having our time on the track, and we're running our race, and they're cheering. Really? Listen, I hope heaven is more than watching earth. Can we talk? <laughs> somebody, said, somebody said, those people couldn't be watching us all the time because there's joy in heaven. Keep this stuff anywhere. <laughs> no, the witnesses is they have borne witness. Or as your grandpa would say, I told you so. <laughs> they're talking to us, they're telling us, they're speaking to us. These witnesses, we have, we have the martyreo, the witnesses, that word from which we get the word martyr. We're surrounded by them. Since we're surrounded, he said, then let us lay aside every weight. Because what was happening was the, the, the bunch, that bunch of Hebrew believers, they had a weight on them. The weight on them was, had they made the wrong decision in following Jesus? Literally lots of people now are saying, because, because Christians can act so dumb and even say some dumb things and misinterpret Bible passages, people who run into that stuff go, oh, I'm on the wrong team, I'm leaving. And I always want to get with them in private and say, so let me get this straight. You just renounced Jesus. And I'll bet you nine times out of 10, they'll say, well, it's those people. Don't know for sure, but I'm suspecting. But I also do know that some people turn back from him and the Bible keeps warning us. And I'm sitting here warning you today. Where are you gonna go if you run from Jesus? Who's gonna forgive your sin? Who's gonna protect you? Who's gonna give you eternal life? Where are you gonna go? You say, I don't know, but maybe I'll have a happier life. I, listen, I can attest to that. I'd have gone fishing a lot more. And this passage, look what happens. In Hebrews, let us, all the way through the book of Hebrews, there's a passage that says, let us fear lest we seem to fall short. Let us strive to enter in because they weren't entering into the rest. Uh, and because the whole generation didn't enter the rest. Let us leave the elementary things and go on to maturity, which is let's grow up. It's the word for being made perfect. Let's draw near to the throne of grace. That is to say, hey, guess what? He's on the throne, we can go there. He's on the throne, we can go there. I'm tired of people talking about these, their weirdness and thinking, uh, shut up, Alan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop that one. <laughs> Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Sometimes I say, we need to throw some carrots in this lettuce. Make a nice salad. Let us lay aside every weight. All right. Now here's how this gets preached. It's called every weight and the sin. That one passage says so easily ensnares us. One passage says, uh, the old King James says, the sin that is that besets us. 
Have you heard sermons on besetting sins, which is to say, I have mine and you have yours? It's a good postmodern look at that. Everybody has their own besetting sin and yours ain't mine and mine ain't yours. Hogwash! Nonsense. And what, what happens is, and this is where, this is how we mess up the Christian life. I'm gonna give you some good news today. The Christian life is not spending your life on personal self-improvement. Because frankly, it doesn't work out. Let me prove it. Every one of you have said, I'm never gonna do this again. <laughs> Liar. Right? <laughs> Listen, I know we struggle with our sin and we are told to stop our sin. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Literally, there's a definite article in it. Now, a book that's been talking about people turning back and warning them and telling them, instead of turning back, let us do these things. A book that's exhorting people to look at the faith of those behind them, but is urging them, but don't go back to them because if you go back to them, you're losing what you've received. A book that's saying that is talking about something specific. And I want you to know the sin of the book of Hebrews is unbelief. Why would you have a, a whole chapter about faith? And what happens is we get to a new chapter and we think, oh, it's a new subject. Because it's a, after all, it's a self-help book, right? Hogwash. Hallelujah. I believe if I was going to preach another year, another 10 years here, I would say hogwash more. <laughs> I believe I would. <laughs> I believe I would. No. In Hebrews 3, it said, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? This is talking about those who failed to enter in when he said, let us enter in. Was it not with those who sinned? Who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were what? Disobedient. Now we read who sinned and who was disobedient and we think ate too much, drank too much, cussed too much. No. Somebody's sitting out there thinking, cussed too much? Because you can't get this stuff just anywhere. I've read Martin Luther. He cussed a fair amount. But, but I'm sorry. Paul will come and he's nicer. So when we see that they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. Those who sinned, it was their unbelief. Those who were disobedient, it was their unbelief. Those that the Hebrews 11 is talking about is those who are in unbelief as opposed to those who are in faith or belief. The sin that besets us is unbelief. What's, what's, the, what's the sign of unbelief? Turning from Jesus and looking to something else. And you can do it. Just a little, you can. The sin. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
All right, a couple things here and I'll try to go quickly. Let us run with endurance. He says to them, you're on this path with Jesus. He's gonna talk about endurance a lot. And the sports analogy is, is fitting. I remember when I was playing football, every football coach would say to you, pain will make a coward out of you. And so you know what they did? Put us in pain. They would train us with pain. I love track. I probably love track more than any of you here. I was watching YouTubes of track last night before I went to sleep. I have this strange obsession with watching track events. I love them. I especially love the runners because I have such a svelte running body. I was made for miles. They're waiting for me. But recall the former days. Again, I'm going back to Hebrews 10. When after you were enlightened, that is after you saw the light, you endured a hard struggle. He's telling them, you've been through this with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully, listen to this, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Should we talk about that in America during the last political year? Would you still love Jesus if he took all your property away? I hope so. We don't know, do we? You don't know how you feel until you feel forsaken. He's not with me anyway. And Jesus entered, he said, let me go there. Let me go to the place of forsakenness for you. My God, my God. Let me go there for you. I'm coming where you are. Trying to stop myself. You knew that yourselves, that you had a better possession, one that was abiding. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you can receive what is promised. You have need of endurance. Christ, he is the fountain, this deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness his mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. But flowers need night and cool darkness, the moonlight and the dew. So Christ, from one who loved it, his shining oft withdrew, and then for cause of absence, my troubled soul I scanned, but glory shadeless shineth in Emmanuel's land. 
The forsakenness is the, is the time of endurance. Let's go through it. Let's deal with it. Let's be in it. Let us run with endurance, the race. The word for race is, you know what the word is? It's the word on which we get the word agony. Errol. <laughs> Listen, when you see somebody that's in agony, you comfort them, but you understand that it's the journey. And we will praise him and we will worship him and we will know him. He became what we are in order to make us what he is. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This one, okay. Looking unto Jesus. That's the whole point of my message. He's, so he's saying to them, he's saying to them, look, I know, I know, I know. You're in a hard case. You're in a bad time. You feel forsaken. You feel, you feel forgotten. Let me tell you the testimony of all those who, listen, they never received what you have received. So you and I, listen, we stand in a better place than Noah, than Moses. We stand in a better place than David. We stand in a better place than the prophets. We stand in a better place today than John the Baptist stood in. We stand in a better place. We stand in the place of having received, having the fulfillment of the hopes of the nations, having our faith perfected. <laughs> Looking to Jesus, the, the founder. I, I didn't, I never noticed this before, but I'd love to do this. See, when you're studying a book, you wanna, you wanna sleuth out the words and that's all I did for this sermon. I looked at the words in chapter 12, one, two, three, and I sleuthed them out in the rest of the book. And this word, this word here, this combination of words is found in one other place. Look what it says. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Boy, I'll say. We don't see everything under the feet of Jesus. And I want you to know that's true on the right and the left. But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we serve a king. We're looking to one who went there because of us and then for us and now calls us to go through it. And that's why my friend Reed Grafke wrote to me about Papa Jack, about all the things that were faith to him that are now sight. For it was fitting for he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Listen to me. The Bible says concerning Jesus that his perfection was made through suffering. You know what this does? This proves to me that what you think perfect is, it's not. Because there was no sin in him. But you understand this? 
When we think of God, it's impossible for God to suffer and die. But he did. And so he's the founder of our faith. He's the perfecter on the faith, of our faith. Now listen, when he hung on the cross, he uttered those words, it is finished. And yes, you won't be surprised after hearing this message to learn that that word, it is finished, is this word, perfection. That for which I've come has been completed. You say, what is my purpose in life? To suffer well, for one thing. To endure hardness as good soldiers of the cross. To fulfill what is lacking, the Bible says, in the sufferings of Jesus. Imagine that strange phrase. To be like him in his, in his glory, which was his passion and suffering who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And just like I did last night, I've run myself out of time. And so just like I do normally, I will plumb the, plumb the depths of that phrase the next time that we, that we talk. It won't be long. It won't be long. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. With mercy and with judgment, my web of time he wove. And a with dews of sorrow were lustered with his love. I'll bless the hand that guideth. I'll bless the heart that planned. When throned where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Oh, I am my beloved. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. Not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. And one last verse. The bride eyes not her garment. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face looking unto Jesus. I will not gaze at glory, but on the king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but at the nail scarred hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And so the writer of Hebrews is straining and struggling to bring these stammering, stumbling believers to the fullness of their salvation. Don't turn back. Keep going ahead. I understand the suffering. It's in the plan. It's in the path. It always was. It will be until the consummation of the ages. But don't look back. Those days are over. Look unto Jesus. (laughs) 
Would you stand together? I'm going to take communion with you standing this morning. Hallelujah. We're here because we love Jesus and we're here because we love one another. At New Life City, uh, we've come to our habit for this last year. And listen, I want before we enter communion, one last word about the future. When you have a new pastor, um, he'll have new ways. Trust that the Lord has led us and follow him. You'll change a few things and you'll wonder, what was that? But, but if you've been with us, we've changed things a lot over the years. And so changes in your future. Don't be afraid of it. It's being Jesus led. The greatest change of all happened when Jesus took the bread and he broke it. At the Passover meal and said to his disciples, this is my body. It must have been a shock. As he's about to instruct them to eat his flesh. The body of Christ is given for you. Lord, we thank you and we receive. No greater change ever happened when Hebrew, when Jewish disciples were told for the first time in their life to consume blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of Christ as a lamb slain without spot or without blemish. This is the blood of Christ received. Now the point of what we're saying is that we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than of the old, than the, as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. And so those Hebrew Christians live through a political calamity, losing their temple, losing their sacrificial system, losing their Levitical priesthood, but gaining the kingdom. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. Keep your eye on Jesus. Now let's pray for one another and then we'll be finished. 
Thank you for listening. For any more information, please visit our website, newlifecity.org. Also, we are on Instagram and Facebook. God bless, and we'll see you later.